Today, Down to Brown is down to nutrition. Why? Well, I've told you guys, when I was 23, I was diagnosed with a syndrome called polycystic ovarian syndrome. And this, you have to really be, when you have this, you have to be really careful about your diet and also your fitness. My relationship with these two changed dramatically when I was diagnosed, and I sort of became desperate for anything that could work. Sort of a, tell me just one diet or workout to follow, and I will do it, but just what is it that would work for me? And I kind of became a hoe with all these diets. I've tried it all and have been around the block when it comes to these different ideas and trends, et cetera. And over time, I realized that just like anyone else, whether you have any syndrome or specific health concern that you're addressing, everyone should look at their body as an individual, beautiful flower, work with a nutritionist or a doctor who is equipped gone to school and certified to help address the best solutions for you. The other thing that I noticed is that being from a different culture, I had a hard time sometimes figuring out the myths and truths that I was hearing about nutrition from different cultures. And the Indian side says one thing, the American side says another. In fact, one day my grandma fed me rasgulla, which is a uh, sugar-soaked dough ball, and said it was really good for my skin and that I shouldn't try to diet when it comes to eating rasgulla. This does not sound like something that's factually based, but perhaps personal opinion. So needless to say, I was growing up with a lot of different stories about nutrition, and I wanted to set the record straight. So this isn't just for people who are Indian, but anyone who basically eats and is trying to understand some of the truths around how to eat better and in a way that makes you feel your best self without getting tempted by all the things that we hear outside. For example, collagen, ghee, olive oil, how much you should be eating of protein, carbs, vegetables, for example. I found Sarika Shah through Instagram and fell in love with her platform. She is she has gone to school. She's an MS and RD in nutrition and has lots of just no bullshit, no nonsense perspectives on how to better approach nutrition. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did because I learned a shit ton from it and honestly have had a better relationship with food literally as soon as I got off the phone with her. Hey, Sarika, thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited to have you on Down to Brown. Uh, I think I told you when I reached out, I have always wanted to meet more and more of our representation, South Asian representation in the nutrition space, just like the media where it's super important to have actors and stories that reflect ours. There's something about understanding our body and wellness that, especially as we live in the States, it's so helpful to know and work with someone who has a bit of that context. So I'm a huge fan of your Instagram. I'm a huge fan of you. So thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. I mean, I'd love to jump right to it because to my point earlier about, you know, this isn't something, especially your Instagram presence is so awesome because every day I get to see a little bit of the food or a little bit of the tips that I eat as an Indian American, right? Not just fully Indian, but um, it's just not something I see on social media. So how did you get into this as your life's calling? Yeah, good question. Um, I don't want to say I'm any different than any basic growing up here. I changed, I made sure to in, when I went into undergrad, I was an engineering major. Um, 
changed my major with taking a general ed course and a family member, my sister, um, falling ill and needed a dietitian, but didn't have a dietitian that was Indian that could help the family with the foods that we were normal or mm-hmm. accustomed to eating. Um, and I kind of fell down that path and with the support of my parents and my family, um, I was able to take that path. Yeah. How did your parents react when you told them? Um, really well. Um, my dad surprisingly was super supportive and his only desire is that, um, I was, he has two daughters. And so his goal in life was to make sure that we were successful, independent women. Um, and if this career could financially, you know, keep me successful and bring me happiness, um, then he had, he supported me a hundred percent. Oh, that's so lucky. And, um, I can't imagine how courageous you had to feel in that conversation of like, Hey dad, (laughs) this is what I want to do. I know. Well, I was smart and I planned it where, um, I did it on a flight back from India. So we enjoyed our vacation and then told him. Genius. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's primed. He's happy. He just saw his family, no escape. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the times, obviously, we joke around about how our parents want us to go into STEM, essentially. But I think for them, a lot of the concern is not to ruin your life, but so that you're happy and you're stable um, and you're taken care of. So that's awesome that you found something that you could convey to him in that way and that he was so supportive. Yeah. And I think their goals as immigrants is um, for their children to have a better life than they were able to provide for us. Um, yeah. and I can relate to that because now I'm a mom and I've got two teenagers and that's all I want. I want them to be, have a greater life than I, my husband and I have been able to provide for them. So, yeah. I so are you that. one now like that slips like biology 101 in their bookshelf? Uh, no, I'm not that I'm not the Kumon mom. I'm not that, <laughs> but, um, you know, I've got a high schooler and I definitely tell him that, Hey, this is, you know, where this is where it matters. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a make or break now. Yeah, and he's into sports. And so I'm like, you want to go to a big college with big um, athletic department and that's super successful? Well, you got to get the grade. So that's up to you. Totally. I know it's harder <laughs> and harder, I feel like, for student athletes. You have to be so well-rounded. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And so you talked about how you that was your reason why you got into this space. But now you're here in the nutrition space. Is it an inclusive one? Um, no, it's not from the registered dietitian perspective. Um, our academy that we belong to as a registered dietitian or registered dietitian nutritionist, those two are equivalent. Um, it's just the RD or RDN. Um, no, it's about 88%, greater than 80% Caucasian white females, um, about 3% African-American or black and about 3% Asian, and Asian being completely generalized Asian. So um, being in the United States, no, it's not diverse at all. Um, The Academy has definitely been made aware of it with these new movements that have taken place um, in the United States in the last couple, in the last year, I would say. Um, But no, it's not diverse at all. (laughs) Yeah, that's so, I mean, I'm glad they're taking a step, but it's also sometimes a bummer when you realize like last year, a lot of folks, when they respond with like, I can't believe you're like, this has been happening forever. Like this isn't anything new. So, you know, when people start to act, yeah. In response to it, 
I'm happy, but at the same time, kind of like, is this what it took for you to like pay attention? I agree. You know, I've been a dietitian for 20 years. And when I graduated, I was the only one, um, quote unquote of color from undergrad, um, with a nutrition major and, you know, and it, it was different in my dietetics program. We have a one year residency or it's called the unpaid internship before we can sit for our licensing. And I was the only one that they had in the history of the program of non-white. Wow. Yeah. And this is in the Bay area. So definitely different. Yeah. There's, I feel some type of way about like, you know, like the common notion of the Bay area being diverse. You're like, eh, sort of, like, yeah. it's a very like, yeah, like one dimensional diverse, but you know, like, especially in that class, I'm imagining, like, it's also a lot of pressure to be the first person of color, but also we're not representative of all people of color in this country, right? Um, Absolutely. Especially Indian Americans, like there are very different policies and reasons that we came to immigrate here. Yeah, I agree with you. Mine is not relatable to the next person at all. Um, But I am relatable to other Indian Americans. What were one of like, can you think of a time where you were like, damn, this is so difficult simply because like people don't maybe understand or aware of my um, cultural context or what I'm trying to achieve in this. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, the difference, I think the hard part is, is that um, we were, when I was taught in school, you know, with my studies and what I learned in undergrad and graduate school, nothing addressed the Indian American or the Indians that immigrated or Indians in general. Um, and us being one of the fastest growing populations in the United States definitely was surprising. Um, but I also succumbed to the culture of not thinking that Western food was better than Indian food. Um, Mm. because that's what I was taught. Um, but the revelation of, you know, being years of experience and, you know, and you learn and, then you have a tendency when you're working in the hospital or in the outpatient clinic because you're Indian, the Indians want to come to you because you're going to understand them. And that's kind of where it started to evolve from. Yeah, that makes total sense. It is kind of funny how also like with time, the script has flipped, right? Like growing up, I'd be like, mom, like, do you so fobby? Like, no, it's so fattening. And then now it's like, who is it? Courtney Kardashian, who has like a tablespoon of ghee every morning. And like, she talked about it as like part of her wellness. Like, this is what I do. Uh, and I was like, damn it. Like I could have been doing this the whole time. Right. Like handmade organic ghee from your mom. Like, so, um, you know, one of the things that I actually wanted to ask you about is like, you know, there's, so I have some thoughts about like our, basically our, landscape and like growing up with like wellness so on one hand you see that we use some of the most like incredible superfoods like ginger and turmeric but then on the other we eat a lot of starches right so like lentils are start a form of starches you can't overdo either you can't over um some of our chat is like very carb heavy um and so we also to balance that don't have a big culture of working out right so a lot of the times when I've grown up, I've seen people getting really responsible later in life because they're like, oh, our doctor said like high blood pressure, I'm cutting down rice or I'm going on walks more. So that's what I've grown up with. Obviously, that's not my, you know, I'm not representative of everyone either. But what have you, you know, how would you respond to that? And what have you, what are your thoughts on kind of our relationship as a community with food and wellness? 
So I'm going to back you back up on that. Um, I think that if you go back to our roots and you go to India, the foods that we emphasize in the United States are definitely different than the foods. If you go back to our roots, were emphasized. Um, we were more healthy. A, we didn't depend. Not everybody had accessible to a car, so we walked a lot more. Um, we get fresh veggies every day to part of your meal. Mm-hmm. Um, lentils are not a carb. Lentils are a great source of protein and fiber. Um, and you can't overdo it. I think it's just fine for, for being part of a balanced meal. Um, rice is fine. It's the portions that we are talking about. Um, when we assimilate and we come to the Western culture, when we come back to the U.S., that's when we start to emphasize the carb-heavy meals that are Indian versus what was originated where was we did have fresh lentils and we had fresh veggies served on the plate. Um, and we're just not doing that anymore. Laziness, quickness, the go, go, go of life. Um, it's available. So it's not lack of availability. Um, and you can buy them frozen for cheaper. So that's there. I just think that it is just part of being in the U.S. and thinking that, oh, I can't do it. Maybe past generations, you know, may have used more oil, but that's not something that we can't change. That's still eating. Um, And so I think it's about education. That makes total sense. And I mean, you're reminding me also like, yeah, that like access to food, even now, like my parents, uh, so my parents live in Hyderabad and they like have people passing by all the time with like vegetables. Yeah. Right? Like they'll be like, tomato, 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 right. like over and over like that. Like, yeah, it's actually really comical when you listen to them like repeating it. Like, um, but it is super great because they just pop downstairs and they just get new, like fresh vegetables every day. Mm-hmm. And they're often not like covered in pesticides or wax or anything like that too. So that is really interesting to me as well. Like it's just much more common whereas here it's like a very big event, right? Like you're going to the farmer's market on a certain day and like going to the grocery yeah, store. But I do think that um, the U S is so much more diverse now that there is accessibility to the Asian markets or the Indian markets and you can go pick up veggies. Um, and, right. and here we have accessibility to call it frozen tindura or frozen okra, you know, at the Indian grocery store, you can get frozen mung beans that have already been cooked, par cooked. So if you are crushed on time and need convenience, you can use those. Frozen foods are sometimes more nutritious than fresh because they're frozen at the peak value. Mm. So, um, there's, you know, just keeping things on hand. Convenience doesn't always need to be out of a package in your pantry. Yes. Got it. No, that's super helpful. And on that note, like with our sort of the general advice we tend to hear probably because of the sample size and what you mentioned about the representation of nutritionists in our country, we I, I feel like I hear a lot of um, advice that's perhaps geared more towards Caucasians. So for example, like I find even the impact to be different. So if I eat like lean cuisine, as opposed to perhaps like my counterpart, who's not Indian, the effect is different. Like it doesn't work as well for me, but rice, I can eat all of it. I feel like I just don't have that same effect of like, Oh, I have to cut down rice to like cut down on carbs. Um, obviously in moderation. Um, so I'm just curious, like, you know, some things that work for the perhaps Caucasian body might not work for our Indian bodies. And so how do you like, do you think that's true 
first of all, if you're like, nah, girl, it's in your head. Or like, how can Indians basically make more informed decisions about their health when surrounding data and trends might not reflect our genetics? So I don't know if that's true because um, when you ingest it, it's a carb is a carb, it's a protein is a protein, a fat is a fat, a fiber is a fiber. Um, your body doesn't know the difference. Um, does your body know whether, you know, how it's going to uptake a saturated fat versus, a, you know, monounsaturated fat or omega-3 or something like that? Absolutely, your body has def- different mechanisms and use for it. And they can be positive or negative. However, I believe that there's more to food than um, just eating it. The experience, the emotion, the association that we have with it. So if we have a more positive association with rice, which is more mom and dad, cultural, you grew up with it. Those are positive memories. So that makes it feel better. But a lean cuisine is going to be in your head is A, it's a frozen meal. Oh, I'm microwaving it. Two, it's really not probably my favorite food, but I'm just going to eat it. You already have a negative mindset in it or it's not, and it's not a comforting food. It's not a memory food. It's not of love. Does that, do you? Yeah, that totally makes sense. I actually, um, I read an article once like from, it was like a Harvard article on how like sometimes the process of making food or preparing food is also what helps us feel full. And like, as part of the experience to your point and like that food in the States has now become, especially if you look at TV shows, like more and more like sports mm-hmm. um, where it's like all competition, speed, efficiency. And so they made the point of like, part of it is to go back to those roots of like preparing food and you might even eat less. Yeah, I might think that if you were to get an Indian frozen meal, like an Indian kati roll, you know, that you get out of the Indian grocery store, the frozen, that experience, call it a frozen, a frozen meal, that kati roll will at least bring up memories like, oh, I had one really good when my grandmother made it or when I was on the streets of Bombay and I had that, you know, it could be that. And so you can compare and you can enjoy that meal more, despite maybe it's more nutritionally labeled, maybe worse than the lean cuisine. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. So it's not like, you know, for the previous question, the answer was like, nah, girl, it's not the case. <laughs> so like on that note, let me see if I could dispel another one because I want to stand corrected. Um, what are, you know, like a lot of diets also, right? We're inundated, inundated with a bunch of diets recently. Uh, some of the most popular ones being like Whole30, Keto, um, Paleo, and even this month, to undo the damage of my December eating, I was like debating between Whole30 and Paleo. And kind of the way that I decided that I wanted to do Paleo was because I felt like Whole30 was something that I've only really heard about in the States. So I was kind of skeptical of like, uh, is it something that I really want to like practice if maybe Paleo seems a lot more like intuitive, natural. Um, So I went with that. But then you also see like Jamila Jaleel's like opposition to keto recently. She's been doing uh, creating a lot of awareness of like keto not being the right choice for everyone, but it's being pushed down in the media. So what are your thoughts on these type of like trendy diets and especially against the South Asian biology? Um, So South Asian biology, um, just being South Asian, we're at higher risk for some cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, um, metabolic syndrome, et cetera. Um, So that being said, I am not a fan of any diets that eliminate fruits, vegetables, legumes, anything natural. Why are we eliminating them or limiting the amount that we consume? Going on a keto will only accelerate 
the disease process potentially. Um, it's a very high fat, high saturated fat diet. Um, and you limit fiber. So when you limit fiber, you increase the risk for so many diseases. Um, and fiber coming from fruits and vegetables and plant-based items. Um, and paleo along, you limit the amount of legumes you eat. Um, legumes are a great source of protein and there's a reason why they're embraced. Um, and so I am a, not a fan of any, um, and going back to the keto diet, the ketogenic diet was created for children with epilepsy. It's not, oh. it's not for weight loss. Um, and when children are placed on a key, ketogenic diet, they're monitored highly regularly with a registered dietitian and their neurologist with a team and blood work is drawn to make sure that the ketones are at a certain level. So damage is not done. Um, and so I think you hear me. I am not a fan of diets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but also like, I mean, you have the data that back it up. Like I, you've blown my mind. I had no idea that was the origin of keto. Right. So like, yeah but you hear about it all the time. Um, and so I'm just so glad that you're setting the record straight on some of these things that, um, it's not just opinion. Going back to the article that you read, um, you had mentioned earlier about the Harvard saying that, you know, we're on this go, 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 everything's a competition is because with this day and age, you know, our cell phones, um, the internet, we have this access and want instant satisfaction. So we want instant weight loss or instant results. There's no such thing. There is no magic bullet. You've got to take your time and do it right. It's not a race. It almost sounds like we need to redefine our, it's not so much the food itself, but how we view like that lifestyle with food and our relationship around that more than the actual food itself. Yes, absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. Culturally, I guess. Yeah. That's like actually what we should be solving for. Yeah. Um, what, you know, you work with a lot of South Asians. Um, it sounds like, um, correct me. Yes, if I'm wrong. you're correct. <laughs> but <laughs> what is one of the most common misconceptions that you find yourself helping alleviate or clarify? Um, basis of this conversation, knowing that Indian food is okay to eat, knowing that in, you can eat Indian food and whether their goals are to improve their blood sugars with diabetes or potentially um, get off hypertension medications if possible to lose weight, um, whatever their goal may be, um, they come in with the thought that, okay, you know, but I really like this Indian meal. So can we keep that? And then I can do whatever else you suggest. Well, I'm like, no, I'm like, let's go back to what do you really enjoy? Mm -hmm. If you prefer having Indian food seven nights a week or seven lunches a week or all 14 of those lunches and dinners, Indian, however you choose or 21 meals, let's figure it out. Um, because it's about using that food and making your experience enjoyable and also not losing the culture um, and using that food to help you gain um, your goals. So I'm all about adding than subtracting. Oh my gosh, I love you. Um, I have a wedding coming up in December. And so <laughs> let's talk after this too. <laughs> I really like your philosophy around this. Um, but it makes I, it makes sense because it sounds like a step further from just moderation. It's also like, it's 
it's just maybe changing this uh, sense we have of like overindulging, et cetera, right? Like it's, it's okay to have these foods. It's just how you do it. Absolutely. It's how you do it. Um, and how much you eat. Um, are you eating to the point of where, you know, your buttons are going to pop off your jeans or yeah. are you eating till you're satisfied? Um, totally. Yeah. And it's kind of a nice way. It sounds like to reduce the, um, some like the stigma of villainizing certain foods. And like, also like last year, I really learned that I was emotionally connecting food in a way that wasn't great. Right. So like 2020, we all know, like we went into some psychological spiral, all of us individually, uh-huh. um, in response and food was mine. I just kind of like would open more bottles of wine and make more dessert at home, partly boredom, but you realize like you're not supposed to eat emotionally. Um, and so that's partly like what paleo has been helping me this month. At least that was my way of like, just kind of having some discipline again. Um, and so these can be also created beyond the exceptional 2020, right? Like, especially in our culture, we can have quite a bit of body shaming going on. And it's sometimes mixed messages. Like you hear like, you can't be too skinny, but then you should be losing weight. You get a little chubby and they're like, oh my God, like Indians do not hold back. Yeah. Right? Like you, you're like, hi, how are you? And they're like, you gained some weight. And you're like, oh, I'm doing good yeah. things. Um, so it's like something that we're kind of also always aware of. Um, how can we combat the body shaming culture, you know, that we have sometimes grown up with and has had a lasting impact in our association with food? Um, I think that it's generational change. It's going to happen, you know, um, and it is happening. There's been movement toward that. Um, it's the diet culture. It's the westernization of it all. Um, but they, I mean, I work with my clients about accepting who they are and, you know, and, you know, X person at 150, you know, person A at 150 is going to look different than person B at 150 because mm-hmm. you could be the exact same height and your body structure is going to be completely different. Um, and so that is the number on the scale does not define much. Um, it's about really being in tune to, you mentioned your emotional eating. Well, what are you, are you dealing with those emotions? Fine. You found that you're not going to eat with them, but have those emotions resolved. What is it that you're avoiding or hiding behind or not ready to tackle? Um, so it's dealing with some of that. Um, and to the rude auntie that says, Oh, you've gained weight. Well, say thanks at least, you know, and move on. Like you can't, like I teach my clients of accepting it or nice of you to acknowledge. I appreciate it. I've been working on it, you know, just taking it yeah. back. You know, you take the control yeah. of that conversation and definitely that auntie next time won't be saying something. Um, totally. Yeah. And with parents, when they call you out on it, I just be like, well, I'm happy. Do you want a happy kid or you want a, you know, an unhappy, starving, irritable person around? Man, you must have the best comebacks for these situations. <laughs> Um, but I could talk so much more about this but I also wanted to switch this up where we answer some of the questions that some of our audience uh, submitted so this is something I'm trying new where I posted a poll and um, you got quite a few questions so I'm ready to fire if you are ready to answer let's go so a few true or false True or false, there are higher levels of vitamin D deficiency amongst Indians. 
Um, I don't, wouldn't say that's true. It depends on whether you go out in the sun, you get your vitamin D in the sun. Second, are you, when you are outside, are you lathered up in sunscreen? Because sunscreen does impair the absorption of vitamin D to, through your skin. Um, when we are darker skin with more melanin, you need actually more greater time in the sun for a vitamin D. Um, there are also, oh. yeah. Um, and But typically we're told don't go in the sun. That's because they believe fair skin is superior than darker skin, which is not true. Right. So, um, yeah, you do. You need to have, you need greater exposure. Um, depending on your location, you know, in California, we get plenty of sun, you know, and it's rare that there isn't sun out in the day. So you can get exposure. Right. Um, but when you're in the East or in Seattle, where it's like rainy and cold, there are going to be months um, where you don't get vitamin D exposure. I'm sure there are food items that you can get. But I always encourage um, clients to have lab work drawn for vitamin D and see where you stand. And this, it can be easily taken care of with a supplement. Makes total sense. Um, I think it's also important like that we understand we're individuals and general things might not always apply, right? Until you have data to prove to your point in blood work Absolutely. and work with your doctor on it. It's impossible to lose fat and muscle and gain muscle at the same time. Um, so I am probably not the expert in answering that one because I don't know 100%. I'm going to be super honest about that. But I do know that fat loss occurs when you are eating correct portions of meals because um, that's what I work with. Um, and you generally want to do the fat loss before you go into muscle building. Um, cause you want your body to be able to burn that fat as a source mm. of energy. And then when you're ready, when you've lost like the X amount of weight or the percentage, then you can start building muscle with strength training. Um, and then when you start doing strength training, you adjust your needs then too, cause to build muscles, you need a higher amount of carbohydrates, but when you're in fat loss, you need a lesser amount of carbohydrates. True or false seed cycling is helpful for PCOS. I'm going to say false because I do not see any science backing it. Yeah, that's super. I have PCOS, so that's super helpful to know. Um, should I be taking or drinking collagen like everyone else is right now? False. There are no long-term studies, no immediate studies that show that drinking or using a collagen supplement will help with, if the goal is for skin elasticity, um, elasticity or joint pain, et cetera, for that, where that's where it's being marketed. However, if you are not vegetarian, collagen is a great source of protein, but I'm going to back that up with, I'm a big fan of staying away from protein and supplement powders, unless it's third party verified. I'd rather you get your protein sources through natural items. Fair. Ghee versus extra virgin olive oil. What's the most nutritious way of cooking daisy food? Daisy food, I would say olive oil, um, unless you're making, you know, look, not taking ghee away. I think ghee is fine. You know, if you want to put a little ghee on your roti or roti or if you, or your chapati or whatever you may call it, um, or you're making kitchri, um, you want to use ghee. I think that's great. Um, overindulgence in it, there's no benefit, um, regardless of what our desi myths are, ghee is still ghee. 
Um, and then for cooking like a quick Indian sabji or sabzi would be great to use in olive oil or an avocado oil. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes ghee just hits different. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite busy weeknight recipe that you can make? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, busy. So I'm a big fan of cook once, eat twice. So, (laughs) um, if I'm making a lasagna, I will make two trays. And so we have another one for later at use. Um, a quick, easy night is kitchery. Um, really it can be done so quick in an instant pot. You got it done in like 15 minutes, um, for Indian food, like a comfort Indian food, um, serve that with like Greek yogurt. It doesn't have to be anything fancy Throw whatever veggies you got in your refrigerator or frozen into it and make it a veggie kitchery with the Scott doll. It's got rice, which is your carbs. Um, and it's got veggies, which is tons of fiber and packed with it and nutrients. And then if you get Greek yogurt on the side, eat it with it, you got protein and dairy. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Um, and you can alter your parents' recipe for that. Um, most Indians do half lentil, half or half doll, half rice. Um, I changed mine up to three fourths doll, one fourth rice. Um, and you can't taste the difference. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I just got an instant pot, so I'll have to oh, try it. Oh, it's quick and easy. Um, oh yeah. That's like magic. <laughs> <laughs> Which food helps hair loss prevention or any kind of specific foods for hair or gr- nail growth? This was a popular one. So the hair and nail growth, um, it depends on what your cause root cause is of the loss is. Is it PCOS? Is it hormonal? Um, are you taking a medication? Um, if it's none of that and it, or I mean, in hereditary, there's nothing you can do. Um, however, if it is a deficiency, um, generally hair loss is a lack of protein. Got it. What are the benefits of a plant-based diet? Oh, the amazing benefits of plant-based diet is, um, you are meeting the USDA guidelines for fruits and vegetables easily because you are incorporating you're increasing the amount of fruits and vegetables that you're eating in a day Um, and legumes. So those come with high fiber, low calorie expense. So you can volume eat on that. Um, And a plant-based diet means that you eat about 75% plant-based. That does not mean that your 25% is also vegan or it can have meat. It can have seafood. It can have dairy. It can have chicken, poultry, you know, that can be it, but it's where you're putting an emphasis on plant-based items, which is the goal of everyone in life. It should be, it's a great, um, you decrease your risk for cancer, uh, cardiac disease, improve your cholesterol levels. And you can potentially even improve your blood sugar levels. Um, if you have weight to lose, you will most likely lose weight. Um, and it's going back to decreasing the amount of processed foods that you are eating. So going plant-based means the benefit of going plant-based is when you're actually using the fresh items or the frozen items, not eating um, like a processed bean burger or something like that. It's actually making it and eating it. Um, How does gut microbiome influence our overall health? Um, Several, many ways. Um, It can affect mood. It can affect weight. Um, It can cause diarrhea or cramping. Um, and, and it can affect your sleep. It affects your hormones. There's several. Yes. So, um, your gut biome is super important and going plant-based will make your gut biome very happy. Ooh, connected. 
Um, what are the best Daisy foods you can eat at high volume other than gobi or cauliflower? Oh my gosh, any of our veggies and our dolls. Absolutely, you can eat those at high volume. Enjoy them. Um, and I also like to incorporate, you know, when you get prasad and there's like fresh, there's like the raw nuts. Enjoy the raw nuts. There's nothing wrong with them. Great source of protein and, and fat and it's good for you and it'll keep you satisfied. I love this attitude. Um, what are alternatives for dessert that are tasty yet healthy? This person loves chocolate. Oh, um, well, don't eliminate chocolate if you love it, because when you eliminate it, you are going to binge on it when you weaken. Um, so keeping everything inclusive in your diet limits the overindulgence of foods. Um, dark chocolate is a personal favorite and generally 70% dark or greater is the best my personal preference. Yeah, that makes sense. What are some easy habits you recommend to living a healthier lifestyle? This is our last question. Um, easier. Mm, I like the positive mindset. So if you look at it as you are adding to your diet instead of removing from your diet, I think that you automatically achieve the habits that your end goal may be. Um, making goals smaller and achievable to the bigger goal in life. So just like you know, maybe some of these listeners are physicians, your end goal was to be a physician. But to get there, you had to go through high school and get good grades, get into college, take your MCAT, go to med school, do your residency, maybe a fellowship to become all this and you had exams to pass. So to get to that, you had all these small achievable goals. It's the same thing with diet and lifestyle, make small achievable goals. If that means starting with water, Start your morning off with a glass of water. Once you've achieved that, and that's like a habit and a routine, add another goal. Maybe it's adding a vegetable to breakfast. Mm. I love that. Yeah, small changes, long-term impact. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarika. I can't like tell you enough how how much I selfishly even appreciated this. This changed my life, this conversation. <laughs> and I'm sure people listening will feel the same way. So thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on and reaching out to me.